We're reading from Acts chapter 1, verses 12 to 26. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. So they called that field in their language, Akildama, that is field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it. And may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph, called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry with Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the 11 apostles. Well, last week we uh, began a series talking about the living church, and uh, Andy kicked that off last week talking about purpose. Uh, we are people that are called with a purpose, and we're a church with a purpose. And uh, today's topic is leadership, and we're going to kind of, uh, lots of things we could talk about leadership. I could go on for days about leadership, on, but I won't. Um, but uh, I, So I want to just sort of take this passage and, and sort of draw out maybe four maybe key things um, from this passage as it relates to leadership. The first place that I want to start, I think we have to sort of start here in this passage, is failure. Failure. This moment comes in the very early formation of the church 
out of maybe one of the greatest leadership failures of all times. Judas, one of the twelve, who had spent three or plus, plus years with Jesus, had betrayed the Messiah. That's a pretty big failure. It's pretty messy. Literally, actually, if, if we won't read it again, but it's pretty messy. <laughs> I think it's important, actually, as we launch into talk today for a few minutes about leadership to recognize that leaders fail. There's probably not a person in this room, in fact, I'm pretty confident there's not a person in this room that cannot think of a time or a place or a season or a person who you looked to for leadership, looked to as a person of influence in your life, and you would say they failed. And sometimes that failure is incredibly painful, incredibly difficult. Let me give you something that may make it even worse. <laughs> Uh, there's a guy by the name of Bobby Clinton. He's a professor, has been a professor, was a professor for about three or four decades at a, a Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, California. He has spent his life studying the lives of leaders, biblical leaders all the way through to leaders through church history. And, uh, and, and he's shown over and over again that actually only one out of three leaders finish well. Two-thirds of all leaders, I'm not talking about leaders in the world, I'm talking about religious leaders, I'm talking about leaders, the ones we read about in the Bible, the ones that have been part of leading the church throughout the years. Only one in three actually finish well. Two out of three have some major point in their leadership where they either fail dramatically or they seem to fail to live up to what the potential could have been and what the trajectory would seem to have been taking them in their leadership. And it doesn't take us long. We can immediately begin to start to think of some of the great heroes of the faith. And we know what? Their lives were marked with things of failure. I mean, we don't have to go any further than, well, we could just start in Genesis and go through. But let's just take Moses. Moses led God's people out of Egypt was the deliverer, is the sort of model of, 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 of what a Messiah would be. And yet, in a moment of frustration, in a moment of anger, in a moment of just being fed up with the people around him, was supposed to speak to a rock and instead just took his staff that he had been used and, you know, God had done all sorts of things with his staff and he just takes that staff and he just starts hitting the rock. It's a moment of real failure. God says to him after that, Moses, he says, um, you're not going to lead the people into the promised land. That seemed to be the natural thing, but it's not what happened with Moses. Moses got to go up to the mountain just before he was taken and look over and see into the promised land, but God said, you know what, you're not going to be the one who leads them in. It doesn't mean that when leaders fail that we just sort of disregard everything about them. We still, all throughout the scripture, we hold Moses up as a huge example to us. But we also know that it's human. 
and the leaders we have in our lives are human. And you and I, as we lead, we're human, and we know that failure is not just an option, it's quite possible. So we come to this today with a recognition that people have failed us, leaders have failed us. But also, we've failed at times as leaders. Amazingly though, that doesn't seem to stop the kingdom of God. <laughs> because we tend to sometimes think and project on and say because a leader failed us, somehow God failed us. But the reality is God's never failed us. It's why I love uh, the line that Paul says, these words. Paul says to the people, he says, follow me even as I follow Christ. Paul goes on in another place and says, if I come along preaching another gospel, then ignore that. <laughs> because there's recognition as human beings, the, the point of leadership is not us, it's actually who we're following. That's the object of our leadership that we look to. So we come to this passage because, because Judas has failed and failed on a grand scale failed to the degree that he took his own life. Not something we see in scripture very often. So it's in that, out of that circumstance, out of that situation then that we see the uh, Jesus followers um, gathering together. This matches exactly the sort of time in the church year that we're celebrating right now. Uh, Thursday was Ascension Day in the church. It's the day that we remember Christ going back into heaven and being taken back uh, and, and seated at the right hand of the Father. And uh, from that period of Ascension to Pentecost, nine, ten-day period there, uh, while they're waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit, not knowing that he was going to come on Pentecost, but waiting together. And that's exactly where we find ourselves today, in that, in the calendar of the church year, and that's where the disciples found themselves and it's in the midst of that, then, that we see a selection process. <laughs> As they gathered together and were praying, Peter, in the midst of that prayer time, in the midst of that sort of seeking the Lord and, and waiting for what was coming next, we don't know whether he was sort of reading the scriptures or what, but somehow in the moment, he, be, he stood up and he said, I, I think that there's something we need to take care of here. He said, you know what, actually, uh, and Andy was sharing about this last week, how Jesus um, explained to the, to the disciples and to his followers, had, had taken the scriptures and showed them who he was and how he would fulfilled and how he looked as the Messiah different than maybe that we would have expected. And, and I think in the same sort of way, uh, Peter sort of recognizes, you know what, there's those passages in Psalms, and, and one of them about, that sort of relates to the fact that, um, that Judas has taken his own life in the field, and, and, and that sort of it's empty. But there's this other passage in Psalms, and it says that somebody needs to take his office. Somebody needs to fulfill this place of leadership. And so he says, I think we need to select somebody to fill this spot. And this selection of leaders, this selection it happens in the context, two things in the context here, uh, that selection takes place is prayer and the word. They're discerning something, 
They're discerning uh, uh, this position of leadership out of prayer and the Word, the Scriptures. That's how we discern leaders. That's how we discern what it is that God's up to and how we come to that understanding is by people of prayer and being in the Word. You see, it's uh, not unlike David when he was chosen to be king. If you remember, Samuel went down to, uh, to Jesse's house to, to appoint the next king. And when Samuel showed up at Jesse's house, he said to Jesse, I'd like to see your sons. I, I sort of, we've got something going on here. Could you just bring your sons out for me to look at? And so Jesse starts to you know, bring his sons one after another. And, uh, and Samuel meets all of Jesse's sons, and he meets the first one, and he immediately thinks, wow, this guy looks like a leader. This guy is impressive. As he goes to sort of shake his hand or do whatever, the Lord sort of says to him, whoa, not him. Okay, that's great. Jesse's got lots of sons, and so they keep coming along, and one after another, Jesse brings forward his sons, and, and every one, they sort of, hmm, this could be it. No, not him. Until finally, Samuel's there, and he's gone through everybody that's in front of him, and he, he turns to Jesse and says, do you have any more? Jesse's like, oh, yeah, well, we've got one more. He's out in the field, though. <laughs> he's sort of out with the sheep, and he's kind of a musician. He's weird, you know. Oh, sorry, did I say that? Sorry. <laughs> That's good. Neil just left. That's good. No. And David comes forward, and the Lord says to Samuel, you see, you look at the outside, but I'm looking at the heart. We read that in this passage as well, that there was something about revealing the heart of who it was that was to be selected. Leadership comes out of a discernment of prayer and the scriptures and allowing God to show us the heart of what's really going on. I, uh, I found myself recently doing um, a fair amount of, uh, of hiring and recruiting. And um, one of the people I work with uh, is really good about looking at people's CVs and, and uh, matching them up with job descriptions. And, and so uh, when we're sort of been going through that process, uh, she's always, you know, saying, oh, she's, she's great to help shortlist. The only thing is I really frustrate her from time to time. Because as we're shortlisting, um, I'll oftentimes uh, say, yeah, well, I, I want to shortlist this person too. And she'll go like, Mm, uh, not, not so much. She's like, why? She goes, I don't think the CV's sort of as strong as you know, everybody else's. And so I've, I've sort of said, yeah, I know. I agree. I just think that we've got to always make room for the person we don't expect. And so I always like to slip a cup one or two in that sort of kind of just barely maybe meet the qualifications but maybe there'd be some things in there you think, oh, they're probably not the one best suited, but I like to slide those in. And so then it makes a, a day of interviewing instead of, you know, most of the day of interviewing. And it makes, you know, we've got to interview, instead of shortlisting, we're kind of medium listing. And they, they love me for it. I know they do. <laughs> and sometimes at the end, she'll look at me and go, I told you that they weren't that strong. I said, I know, but I just always feel the need. Just, there just might be something there that just doesn't showing up on the paper, and so I'm trying to read between the lines and see what might be there. 
Because we've got to discern, we've got to be prayerful, and we've got to use the scriptures as we discern. Well, the other thing in this process that we read here today is there's always more people out there than, that are qualified than we think. I really sort of find it amazing to sort of look at this passage and, and realize when we think of Jesus and we think of his ministry and we think of the, the apostles and the disciples and those that were with him and all of that, I mean, we are really focused about those 12. And we know there's sort of other people circulating around, but, but we're, it would be easy for us just to say, well, we know that there was the 12 and they were with him from, for this whole time. But in this moment, when there's this vacancy... And Peter stands up, he says, let's look for somebody. We need somebody who's going to be a witness with us. We need somebody who's going to bear witness. And we need somebody who is with Jesus from the time of his baptism through to the resurrection. We don't know how many of the 120 of the room fit that that qualification, but apparently there were quite a number of people in the room of that 120 that met the qualification of having been with Jesus from his baptism all the way through to the resurrection. Because when that criteria was put forward, it said then they had to sort of pray and discern together. And out of that prayer and discernment, they finally came up with two names to put forward. So obviously there were more than two in the room. And so they come forward with these two names. It is this thing that we find ourselves, I think, sort of two-sided thing in, in leadership is, one, as leaders, oftentimes, we fail to see other people's leadership potential. We sort of get locked in to behaviors and patterns and the things we see and our own vision of things and our own pictures of things and it's easy for us to just overlook and not recognize that there are people there with leadership potential and leadership capacity and we can just sort of get on with getting on and not see what's right in front of our eyes. The other thing is true is that you and I as human beings sometimes when opportunity arises and something is stirring we immediately discount ourselves and say, surely it's not me. Surely I'm not the person who could do that. That's somebody else. But there is this, a much greater potential than most of the time we think there is for leadership to rise up and for people to be called forth. I don't think Matthias came into that room that day thinking I might be the missing 12th. I think Matthias, well, I don't know, but it might be that Matthias' feelings had been sort of like, hmm, you know what, Jesus picked his 12 and I was with him the whole time, but I was never one of the 12. I think I feel kind of like I was maybe looked over and left out. I love Jesus, always followed him, was always there, but uh, that's the 12, not me, them, them, those guys. And all of a sudden, Matthias finds himself as one of the 12. His name being put forward in discernment. And then the lot being cast, and all of a sudden, it's me? 
I'm the 12th disciple? I'm the 12th apostle? We don't expect it sometimes. The other thing about this passage is um, there have from time to time, not everyone, but from time to time there's been sort of a, uh, a cry that went forth. No. <laughs> there's from time to time been, there's sort of this sense in the passage that this is just weird. That this is sort of a weird and awkward moment in the history of the church. That, you know, Jesus has ascended and the Holy Spirit hasn't come and the disciples pick somebody to fill the spot. And, and every once in a while, you'll read a commentator or you'll hear a message of somebody really almost say they missed it. They sort of, mm, you know, they, they may have missed what was going on. I mean, sometimes especially because uh, later on we're gonna, in, the, in, in, the, in Acts, we're going to hear so much about Paul. And, and if you read Paul's writings, Paul will say, I was, I'm an apostle, but I just was sort of born at the wrong time. And so some have, I've read some that have said sort of, yeah, they've, they've sort of missed it here maybe, and, and Paul is the real apostle of the book of Acts. And so Matthias, we don't really hear much about it. In fact, we never hear Matthias mentioned again, uh, other than we know that the, the apostles were together later on several times. And so there's this sort of sense that something sort of went amiss. I don't read that at all, and I don't buy into that at all from this passage. I think actually something really significant is happening in this passage. One is that, and don't have time to go into it today, but there is this sense of there needed to be completeness to the number of 12. There were 12 tribes of Israel. There's 12 apostles, and now there's one missing. And it needs to be fulfilled, and, and there needs to be somebody to fill that spot. And so, so Matthias is the one chosen to fulfill that spot. And I think it's incredibly important that Matthias is chosen to fill that spot and identified as the 12th apostle before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That on the day of Pentecost, it's very clear that he's already in that role and he's in that position and he is there to be the 12th one to fulfill the purpose of being a witness to Jesus and to his life and his ministry and his death and his burial and his resurrection. I think the greater lesson, though, is that out of that, that sort of wrapped up and fulfilled right off the bat in the book of Acts, right at the beginning, this is taken care of. We know how that's being fulfilled because something far more significant is going to happen about leadership in the book of Acts, and that is that leadership is going to begin to explode. 120 within a few days is going to be 3,000 and then thousands and thousands more. And through the book of Acts, we just see the church growing and growing and spreading and spreading. And it is no way about 12 guys. It is about leaders being released and people being filled with the Holy Spirit and pushed into and pointed for and set aside for leadership roles. And it's going to go on and on and on through the book of Acts. And we, yes, we're going to see Paul, but listen to some of the other people. These are just a few of some of the names that get called out as leaders that are going to come along. We have in uh, Acts chapter 6 right away, um, we begin to uh, n see that there was a, this sort of need and the apostles are looking around and they need some people to help uh, with the appointment of feeding. And, and so there's seven people that are set aside and they set them aside and they lay hands on them and they anoint them for this leadership ministry that they are. And we've just been talking about these 
folks in the last few weeks, but you know, one of them goes on to be the first martyr of the church, and, and Philip goes on to be a phenomenal evangelist, and, 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 and leadership is spreading. We pick up a guy by the name of Paul. There's another one that we talk about a lot here, Barnabas. <laughs> he shows up on the scene, and, and it's clear that Barnabas is a, is a leader, and he's called an apostle as well. And then there's Silas, and there's John Mark, and then there's uh, a guy by the name of uh, Simeon from, called Niger, and there's Lucius of Cyrene, and there's Mania, and, and there's Jesus' brothers stand up, and they're counted among the leaders. Jesus' brothers had been around all through Jesus' ministry in a way, but not always in a helpful way. They had sort of been antagonistic towards Jesus a few times. They had sort of questioned, like, mm, I don't know if everything's all right with my brother. <laughs> but James, the brother of Jesus, we find is very quickly, seems to be one of the key leaders in the church in Jerusalem. And and Philip, the evangelist, he has four daughters, and they're prophetesses. And by the end of Acts, we see that as, as Paul is coming back through, they begin to speak words of prophetic words to, to Paul. And, and we just see over and over, we could keep going and going, because everywhere Paul goes, everywhere the gospel spreads, and everywhere we see the kingdom going, we see people rising into leadership, being, being people set aside, hands being laid on them, and the Spirit of God coming over people and then being released into leadership. That's about leadership in the book of Acts. Matthias is put in his place because there is about ready to be a wave of leadership released. People call forward. Because at its core, leadership is influence. And biblical leadership is about an influence for the kingdom of God. It's about that call we talked about last week to be witnesses. And the reality is on some level, every one of us is called to be a person of influence, a person of influence for the kingdom. Every one of us here is called into some sort of leadership. Sometimes that's leadership positions. Sometimes it's roles and things we do. Sometimes it's just being people of the kingdom. So today, as we come to sort of a conclusion, what is it that God might be calling you to? Do you see yourself as a leader? Do you see yourself as a person of influence? And what might God be stirring in you today? Maybe today you're sort of in that realm of saying, yeah, not so much me. Maybe them, but not me. Why not you? <laughs> what might be God encouraging you to step up in a new way, to be released, to be a person of influence for the kingdom? Amen. Amen.